Hi everyone, I'm Riley Blanks, your hostess and the creator of Woke Beauty, a storytelling platform reimagining the everyday act of self-celebration for and by all women. This show brings you unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries who have developed personal success despite trauma and hardship by leaning into grit and discernment. We explore the messy interwoven realities of mental health, holistic wellness, intricate family dynamics, racial complexity, and the exceptional discoveries that lead to fulfillment. This is our pledge to the power of resilience and the impact of perspective. Chelsea Francis is a multi-hyphenate creative type. She got her degree in marketing and PR and knew the traditional desk job would keep her away from what she loves most, profound connection. She has been photographing and consulting professionally for over seven years. Her heart is open and her soul is good. She believes that any story doesn't begin and end with a brand. It begins and ends with a person. Her goal is to capture a story with the images she creates. Her trade as a creative individual isn't limited to just one thing. She offers photography, brand direction, public speaking, community events, and writing. She is grateful to have worked with many prominent platforms such as Tribeza, Glitter Guide, Yellow Giggles, and Texas Style Council. She is the founder of Fluffy, a space that allows humans to embrace their full selves. Chelsea is a content creator and a truth teller. She has partnered with powerhouse brands such as Madewell and Doc Martens. Her dynamic feed can be found at O-H-H-H Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea. Chelsea and I have connected a few times in real life, but each moment has felt like years. I am beyond grateful for her heartfelt presence, honest stories, shameless tears, colorful expression, and unrelenting allyship. But yeah, this is honestly supposed to just be like a representation of when we've met previously. Because mm-hmm. um, I love, I love how we connect and all of the things that you have to say. And so I'm hopeful that we can kind of culminate that here as well. Yeah, I'm so um, excited to be. Yeah, on. me too. Thank I you. I feel for your so time. flattered. Like, oh really? Could, oh yeah, my I gosh. Could, I'm so excited. I love your podcast. Thank you. I'm flattered that that you're flattered. So flattery back and forth. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's get going. Okay. Chelsea, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A thousand times. Thank you. I don't think thank you is good enough of a phrase for you. I'll think of a better one one day and send it to you. (laughs) Expect it in the mail. Already. I'm like already watering. (laughs) We can cry together. (laughs) Yeah, we probably Um, will. Yeah, it's likely. So if you could have a conversation with yourself like 10 years ago when you were 10 years younger, what would you tell that girl that you've learned in your life? Where would you begin? Like what comes to mind in that conversation? That's such a great, great question. 
particularly around introspection and self-growth. Such a great way to phrase that and ask that. I, so I would have been, I'm 29 now, so I would have been 19. Um, oof. When I was 19, I had just started at a very evangelical Christian college. Um, I think I probably would have just reassured myself that all the thoughts going on in my head were fine and that they were my intuition trying to like guide me and uh, get me to where I am today, 10 years later. Um, I think, oof. I would tell her to just trust that voice, like trust that inner voice, trust that inner knowing. Because truly, what other advice is there other than that? Be humble and trust that inner voice. Know that you can be wrong and trust that inner voice. What was she wrong about or what wasn't she trusting? Uh, I think she was just pretty convinced that she understood a lot more than she did. Um, I feel like. And I talk, I talk, I think you and I have talked about this a lot about like, when you are younger, you think that you're so close to having life figured out. And then I feel like at 27, 28, kind of like around the Saturn return time, life is just like, ha, you actually don't know anything. Like any of this could change at any moment. Um, And you kind of have to go through this like very great humbling that I think a Saturn return or just growing up and being in that 20, 26 to 28 range uh, gives you. Yeah, that's such a delicate phase. We've talked about the Enneagram before, but I'm an eight. And I feel like that period of my life, like really turned me into an eight and turned me or helped refine me into that eight and helped me like understand that I could like push back on misogynistic or racist or homophobic or transphobic things in a terrible environment to push back on those things. Which is like in no way as terrible as being any of those things in that environment. A lot of times, like with all respect to like anybody who is black or Brown or trans or queer, like those environments are so much worse for those people. And yeah, I I feel like I, have this like great humbling during that period. And then afterwards where I like befriended people who were having a way worse time in that environment than I was. And I kind of like could advocate for them and could be a friend for them. And it made me realize that like my faith in a God had nothing to do with any of that, which is very valuable now to me as like not a part of that system anymore. Gosh, I have so many questions. Um, can you tell me like a story from that time period? I, if it, is it painful to tell a story? I'm just, I kind of want like a visual of what it was like for you. Um, there was a friend who came out to me very early on in college and somehow I missed it. Like, I just totally missed it. And people would ask me about his queerness. 
and I would, I didn't know. And so my question to them was always like, one, why does this matter to you? And two, why don't you just talk to him about it if you're so concerned? And um, all of this was because I, like all of this sort of came out of me knowing that it would be an unsafe environment for somebody to come out and not wanting to tell that story for somebody else. Um, and then like near the end of college, he was like, I told you this four years ago. And I was just so conditioned to like keep the people around me safe that I like totally missed it. Mm. So it was, it was wow. a weird, it was a really weird time. Yeah, that must have felt constricting. You were almost you were almost constricted from growing into yourself and into your own awareness of the world. How do you like you know how at least for me, I don't know if you have this, but you did mention your experience in relativity to minorities. And it made me think of how I will oftentimes minimize my own trials and tribulations because I know someone else has it worse. And I feel therefore guilty for what I know I have that they might not have. And so instead of kind of recognizing my struggle, I kind of pick apart why it's better than someone else's, you know, mm -hmm. not that you did that, but it made me think of, of that. How do you navigate that? How do you balance acknowledging your own pain while respecting others, meaning others' yeah. pain? Yeah. Um, I, especially over the past couple of months, I mean, the past year, I've been talking with a lot of my friends and a lot of my, like my therapist a lot about comparative suffering and how you can't, you can't experience someone else's suffering. You can't no matter how much you try, you can't understand what somebody else's journey goes is like what they're going through, like what their life feels like to them. Right. Um, and it's not like you experiencing that doesn't help you do really anything for another person. And so I've been doing a lot of work around that because I feel things really, really deeply. But at the end of the day, I want to be useful I want to be a tool. I want to be able to like show up for people wherever they're at, whatever their experience is and actually help and not just perform help. Um, and so I, it, it is definitely hard and it's definitely something that like, especially growing up the way that I did, you're always told like, someone in another country is starving. So why are you complaining kind of thing? And it's like, sure, sure. But also like, what, how does that help me process my grief around this or that or the other? Uh, and how does that help that person who is starving somewhere else? Like using someone else's suffering as a prop to kind of minimize your own doesn't benefit the person who is suffering, any person who is suffering in the equation. That's such a good point. So I try and ask myself, how is this benefiting the person who I seem so concerned with in minimizing my own suffering? 
And how does it benefit anybody to minimize my own suffering to myself, you know, to your own mental process? Because I, I don't know if you're similar in this way, but I tend to, when I am suffering or when I am in, in grief, I sort of parent that in myself. Like I don't, there are definitely other things that I like ask for and need from other people. But when it comes to suffering, I'm a pretty private sufferer. I try and like talk about not being, when I'm feeling like super anxious or depressed, I try and talk about that sometimes online, but it's never for help. It's always out of like, this experience might help someone if I share it. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's a story. <laughs> yeah. It's much more like, yeah. here's a story that you can like see in real time. Here's what I kind of did, but I, I do tend to like take care of myself in that way pretty well when I'm in grief. I usually just don't want anybody around me at all. Like it's a problem. Um, so in kind of navigating and not minimizing my pain or my suffering because of other suffering that might be going on. It, it does take that self-knowing of knowing of it does take that self-knowledge of knowing that me acknowledging my own, whatever it is, wherever it's at, um, isn't taking away from anyone else. I have a funny, I, I don't know. I, I like to judge my questions before I ask them. Do you believe in God? Yes. How has your relationship with your belief in God changed? Tremendously. <laughs> so it is a funny question. <laughs> it, it, it's not It's not a funny question. I mean, it is, and it's not. Um, <laughs> oh, for a long time, I thought that I needed a lot of other stuff to get me to God, whatever that was, whoever that was. Now I understand that I don't need all that stuff. Yeah. And that's about as much as I've got figured out about it. <laughs> I love that. Do you? Let me. Uh, can I ask you that? Yeah, you absolutely can. I do believe in God. I have an interesting relationship as well. So I was convinced that I would know what I believed at the age of 12. And I told my parents, I'm going to go do a bunch of research and I'm going to find out who I believe in. <laughs> and I, I was raised Christian and we did go to church. I lived all over the world. So we went to all kinds of churches and um, most of them were non-denominational. Um, and I didn't love church. I think I found it rather boring. Um, and <laughs> Sometimes my parents would fight in the car. And so standing in church with them was tense and I would often stand between them. And so I could feel, I could feel them, you know, my whole life until they divorced. And even now I can feel them all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I care about them deeply and um, I became quite the mediator as well. And so I think that church represented a lot of that for me in a strange way. Um, Anyways, 
yeah, at the age of 12, I said I would figure it out. So I decided I believed in Jesus. I decided that I was Christian. And so we were in Del Rio, Texas, a border town where my dad was born. The family, my mom, my dad, my sister and me were in the car. And we were driving past this little creek. I think we stopped. It's this beautiful creek. And I was like, I want to get baptized here now. <laughs> and so we waded into the water of this creek. It's kind of a, a beautiful story. My dad baptized me in the creek. And I have a memory of that. And I was convinced when I came up, like the sky was sparkly and everything was better. And um, yeah, and so that was that was that. I was I've always been, you know, a bit too beyond my years, um, and it's gotten me into trouble. People forgot my age, you know. Um, and when I was fifteen, I had an unfortunate experience um, with a man that was much too old, and it led me to church, back to church. And the church was not there for me in the way that I needed the church. And I felt isolated. Um, demographically, I was the only black person. And so I thought maybe that had something to do with it, you know? So I, it, it really just kind of caused more tears, you know? And I hate to ever say that anything causes me pain, you know? I, I own the pain, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, the, the experience was crushing. And so I was like, forget that. <laughs> I'm not with that. I think God is still real, but that's not going to work for me. And so then I, I ended up going to college, which was a blessing because I, I was homeschooled the majority of high school. Um, and I ended up going to UVA and I accidentally joined like a cult. I, I mean, I don't, I didn't know it was a cult. Someone told me later that it was a cult, but it was the kind of Christian Bible club where like you have to hug on the side and like boys aren't allowed at your dorm past 7 PM. And my, Wait. one of my best friends was gay. So I was like, you know, a gay man. So I was like, he can't yeah. come over and hang out, watch a movie with me. What is this? Um, yeah. And so that was, that did not turn out the way that I wanted it to. I ended up leaving that little club. And then I got really into Buddhism and I was fascinated by Buddhism. And so I studied a lot of um, that text in college. And it's interesting, a lot of these sort of like qualms in my life, I turned into like these universal obsessions. So like my parents divorced my first year of college immediately studied sociology of family could have easily claimed that as a second major. I was like, sociology is it. I must discover why marriage is a dying construct. You know what I mean? Um, oh my God. So and, interested and so, about yeah. that also from your <laughs> yeah. perspective. Continue. Sorry. But yeah. So I won't, I won't go on for ages, but um, you could, but I now, would be so happy if you did. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. But now I, I'm still figuring it out is what I would say. But what, what I will also say is that I have on my bookshelf, you know, five really interesting reads um, about Buddhism. Um, I have the book of death and dying on my nightstand. It's a Tibetan Buddhism book. And then I have a Bible that's coded with highlights and notes and thoughts. And, um, and so I believe that you can believe in more than one being. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that God is in everything and everyone. 
um, and mm-hmm. that there's much more to be learned than the narrow-minded thinking of just one. And, you know, it might be, it might be true that that's in part, like the fact that I live in such an intersectional life, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but also just from my experience, my personally, my relation to God is best felt when I'm alone. And Mm -hmm. so I have a hard time being a part of a construct. Yeah. I 100, like that I did not know all of that about you previously. I think I knew we were, you went to UVA. So for the same age, we were also in college in the same state, two hours away from each other at the same Weird. time. Weird. Yep. Wow. Where were um, you? Uh, Virginia or Lynchburg, Virginia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right down the street. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like wow. uh, conjuring the name of the... <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, the whole state's got a lot going south of the Mason Dixon line. There's a lot going on there. I mean, that yeah. whole the whole state. I mean, like the stuff with Washington D.C. and not actually being at so many things. Like Virginia has so much. That's um, a whole podcast episode by itself. <laughs> yeah, we should research yeah. and then record it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that is uh, just bonkers to me that we were that close for four very formative years of both of our lives I really really wish I would have known you then (laughs) I know me too Um, oh that would have been (laughs) life-changing I was also UVA is Charlottesville right yes I was in Charlottesville all the time what during college yeah it's a pretty fun town yeah, it's a you had a Chipotle. We didn't have a Chipotle for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, it's Weird. interesting. It's not that large of a town, but we have quite a lot going on going for us. A huge mm-hmm. music scene. Um, mm-hmm. Great. That's why we were always there. Yeah, that makes sense. Bur- not Burger Up. Uh, Citizen Burger. Yes. Yeah, that's a and then fairly new little, one. The little record record store that was. Um, yeah in the little alleyway there between citizen burger or not citizen burger yeah citizen burger and uh urban outfitters oh my gosh look at you yeah you know it well yeah um but so all of that is amazing and i same conclusions that you have drawn like 100 percent. yeah i love when you shared your book your bookshelf that one time it was on your story yeah yeah i I loved that there's c.s lewis but there's also like (laughs) tick not con (laughs) yes it's so important to read to to be to have a breadth of writers and genres in your collection that's how you you know broaden your horizon the same with your friends like hopefully you're friends with a a divert not just not just to check a box right but yeah um because it makes you better. It makes them better. It makes the world mm-hmm. better, you know? 100%. I agree wholeheartedly. So, <laughs> swerving here, um, it's a pretty rough time <laughs> for the entire universe. And um, we are all going through it in, in different ways, yet collectively, which I find very interesting. Um, how has it been for you? How are you how are you feeling and what are you doing with your feelings? 
disorienting, I feel is a, a good word. But like, I don't, I, I feel so conflicted with this time. Like it has been so monumentally hard and bad. It's like just genuinely bad. Um, but when I even in saying disorienting, it's like how things were oriented before weren't, wasn't great. Like was not good. So disorienting. universally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think with me personally, before I was way overworking, like, and I didn't even know that I was overworking. Like I had no concept of overworking or what that looked like um, in my my mind and in my like soul and who I am as a person. Like I didn't know kind of how activated I was all the time. Um, so in some ways it has been a tremendous learning experience about who I am as a person. And um, so I can tell you a little bit about my like situation. I do a lot of things, all of which have come to a screeching halt for the most part during this. Um, my husband and I have a roommate and they both work at the same place and they have both been out of the house during the daytime. And so I know a lot of people have been like, um, either like in situations where everyone in their home is home all the time or in situations where they're isolated alone. I have been in this weird, like hot and cold. It feels like, like dirt from like 9am to 4pm. Most days I'm totally alone. I'm saying no one. And then from 4pm forward, it's like two people who are my favorite two people in the whole world. And it's a lot of talking and a lot of like socializing, but also a lot of like being there for each other and supporting each other and like that sort of emotional work too. And then the next day it resets. And it's been just a weird, I don't know. It's, it's a really, I feel like I haven't really been in the world that most of my friends have been in. They've either been like isolated with their husband and they're like completely tired of him or they're like, they live alone. And this is the first time they've ever lived alone. And now they're just stuck and they feel so stuck. And I feel stuck, but I feel stuck in a completely different way. But you talked about um, prior, you've talked about like finding ways to stay grounded Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Are, are there activities that you're doing or resources that you're relying on to practice yeah, that? Definitely. Um, and I feel like I was just talking to a friend, Clara, um, who I'm sure I'll talk about a little bit in a minute, but um, about how I feel like it's sort of every few weeks it changes. Like nothing works long term right now. Like, there was a three-week period where every morning I would wake up and and eat dinner with my husband. He would go to work, and I would lock the door behind him and go on a walk for an hour and usually listen to, like, a podcast or an album 
when you were talking about walking around your neighborhood, it made me smile because I like have been listening to your podcast walking around my neighborhood. So I feel Aww. like you've been walking around my neighborhood with me. Oh, that's I have so this sweet. like weird Thank you. <laughs> connection to that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it feels like, but that was like three weeks. And then one morning I was just like, it's too hot. Like at 9 a.m., it's just too hot to do this. There's not a lot of like trees in our neighborhood on the side of the street in the morning. So I'm kind of like reorienting now to um, figuring out when I can work that into my schedule. But walking has been huge and wonderful for my my brain. Um, I journal a lot. I have been trying my entire life to like slow down enough to build a journaling practice and that was like one of the first things that happened during COVID. So like a Juad did uh, this, this journaling project for a month and it was just a different prompt every day. And it was exactly what I needed. Like, so, like so on point with what I needed. And she actually extended it to be a hundred days, but I did not keep on cause I wanted to write about other stuff. Um, wow. But I, so journaling has been like consistent. Um, as of recently, like in the past maybe three or four days, I took a Skillshare class. I think this is going to be my new thing. It's just learning something on Skillshare just because. Because <laughs> um, if you're not picking up on uh, this by listening, before all of this, I was a person who had like, as many social interactions scheduled as possible face to face, like talking to as many people as I could every day. And it was wonderful. Gave me a lot of life. Um, but it also burned me out. It was sort of twofold, like being social really, really helps and like fills my cup up, but then some social interactions, or the persistence of constant social interaction does the opposite and drains me in a way that I didn't even know I was being drained. So I have a lot of like uh, energy that I need to get out on things. And I've been talking to my therapist a lot and she's like, this time is like about your island. I've been playing Animal Crossing. So like my, <laughs> <laughs> it's about the island that I'm building for myself that no one else really gets to live on. And so I've been building up that island and uh, it's been really great and I needed it desperately and I really wish it didn't take a global pandemic for me to get it. And that's been nice, but also its own set of like mental gymnastics. Like I feel like I'm like spiraling and sad one moment and then I'm like, I have learned a nature journal, which is like the next thing that I was gonna say I literally learned a nature journal this week and I've been wanting to do it for my I mean like really my entire life I've always wanted to draw and I'm so laughably bad at it and since I've gotten really into journaling one element I'm a very visual person I'm also a photographer and I want to like be able to remember small moments of where I'm writing at or that kind of thing. And um, I've always wanted to just like be able to sketch something and watercolor in. And I've never been able to. 
And so four days ago, I took a Skillshare class and I've been doing it ever since. And it's um, so much fun. Like I spend as much time outside as possible right now, just trying to like sketch flowers or lizards or I'm going to wow. sketch a possum today because I saw a possum. <laughs> so during the daytime, see- crazy. Yeah, seriously, especially with the climate. So you saw the possum. Do you have to like, pho- do you, is, does it have to be photographic memory kind of thing? Or do you just like look it no, up online? I did, I'll just look it up online probably because okay. I didn't get close enough to get a photo. But, it was like um, the inspiration. <laughs> the well, possum walking by like, was like incentivize you. <laughs> well, so I, so kind of the way it's like working into my journaling practices, I am trying to sort of like make visual cues for things I'm writing about. And I, this is so weird to say, but I really, really uh, love and like love animals. Like I feel very connected to like just sitting outside and watching bugs like move around. And it makes me feel very, that really has made me feel very grounded. And uh, all of the lizards in central Texas right now are bonkers insane. They're, very active um what's up with them <laughs> what are they on they're the, going 5,000 miles a minute it so I've researched this a little bit oh, do it's tell. just after their ma- mating season and they've just all had babies and so they're like running around doing a lot of stuff wow like they're doing little lizard chores I guess <laughs> that is so funny but um, That's so, so I wanted to be able to like sketch those. So like part of it, part of like the practice is wanting to be able to like log like I saw this animal and this animal and this animal today. And so since I saw a possum, I can now sketch and hopefully paint a possum. And I will say like I've been terrible at this my entire life. And the skill level that I wanted to achieve was so low. Like I just wanted it to literally maybe look like the thing. And you won't be able to see this because podcasts are not a visual medium, but (laughs) that is a plant. Oh my gosh. That's really good. That's an actual plant. Like that's so good. Is a sunflower. That's a sunflower. Yeah. You're, you're good. Why are you, or do you criticize your drawing the way you criticize Not these, man. I'm so like, I'm like, this is this, if this is it for the rest of ever. If I never get any better than this, this is exactly what I wanted. So, wow. Um, because I don't know if you relate to this too, but I feel like you yeah. do. Um, I have a anything that I am talented at somehow becomes a business. <laughs> like somehow yep. generates income. <laughs> yep. So I'm actively like 2020 was a year of me trying to find anything that I could do that was not at all about money. And I feel like this is such a fun iteration of all of this because like I started it with a low bar and it was like, I don't have to ever be good at this. And then like immediately got to the point where I was like, I'm great at this for me. Like I feel good about this practice and I definitely want to get better like some of the things that I've been doing look terrible. Um, but it's been really nice to do something that I'm like, this is so much better than the shitty flower I drew yesterday. Like this looks so good. I'm like learning to use paint. 
<laughs> it's been very uh fulfilling. Yeah. It's I mean, I'm I'm really impressed. And I don't say that like I know what I'm doing. I just say that like they're really beautiful. Oh, and also you. they're colorful, which I just feel like is so you. You I oh. just think of vibrancy when I think of your aesthetic, you know? Thank um, you. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice. It's always cool to see different representations of people, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you talk a lot about failure and mm -hmm. how it's incremental to success. Mm -hmm. And I think like the dance between the two is so interesting and oftentimes lost on us, you know, it's one or the other. And so I'm curious how they've interplayed in your own life. What yeah. taught you to think that way? Um, oh, I don't really know where it started. Um, I have always been raised with this mentality that like, if I work hard, I can do anything. Um, not a mentality that I actually believe in now. Like, I think um, there are a lot of people working very hard that will not achieve their dreams because of the way that the world is constructed. Um, but because of that, the, the emphasis was always so put on the work that the outcome really didn't matter as much as the work. And I think maybe that's kind of where it all started. Like my mindset around it all started. Um, I have always been very, very interested in this concept of like a micro celebrity, like college sports. I could not, I could not pick a single college basketball player out of a lineup. But if you were to show me like a photo of 10 fortune female fortune 500 business owners i could like tell you everything there is to know about them and i've always been sort of interested in this concept that like celebrity means nothing if you're outside of the bubble and there are people who achieve a great level of success and have like do not have name recognition at all. Um, and it kind of like spurred off this idea that success is so much more than being a fortune 500 businesswoman or like getting drafted to the NBA success looks so much different for every single person. And it kind of got me started asking questions about failure. Like does failure also look vastly different for every person? Um, does it even matter if we fail? Like, and the conclusion I've kind of come to is that like nothing matters as much as the moment after you fail. Like if you look at that and say, man, I'm a piece of shit. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed how does that help like how does that help you accomplish the goal that you set out to accomplish in the first place and so I began asking a lot of questions around that 
And I started an online publication about it, which is now shuttered, which is so funny to me that like I failed out of having an online publication about success and failure. (laughs) You are quite good at putting yourself out there in the world. And I don't mean just on Instagram. You know, I've seen you in real life, of course, and you show up, you know, full heartedly, right? People are always like, just show up. And I'm like, no, 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 but there are different ways to show up. You know, I need more than that. Right. And I feel like when you're there, you're all there. Like we get all of you, you know, and that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of courage. Um, Yeah. It takes a lot of really special qualities. And so I want to know how you continuously put yourself out there, even when you don't feel like it. Um, even when you might not feel courageous, even when Instagram is just like you're over it. Cause I know you are sometimes we all are right. Um, if you're a real breathing person, um, yeah. How do you make it look so, so joyful and and effortless and fun and like, oh yeah, I want to hang out with that girl. Um, even knowing that like life is not always that way. Oh, First of all, that was one of the kindest things anybody has ever said about me. Um, If I could have like written down what I would hope interacting with me felt like to somebody, I think that would have been it. So thank you for saying that. That really got me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I... Hmm... I want to be concise with what I say. I I try and share it all. I try, like, one big thing that I want from any presence that I have anywhere, like, for so long, I mean, growing up the way that I did in the South, I always, like, was told, you'll meet someone, fall in love, and get married, and then that's when your life starts. And, um kind of and my my whole life sort of has followed this pattern where somebody tells me that like this is the thing that you want and then like I get that thing and I'm like you must be kidding me right like this is great but that's not it is it um so I met so like I very it feels random but I feel like it's like the universe conspiring um I met my husband when I was 16. We started dating when I was 16. We got married when I was 21. Um, And then six years after that, I fully formed into like a conscious thinking human being. And at no point did like me being married and having that relationship really make my life significantly better outside of the fact that I got to share with a wonderful human being who I really like a lot. (laughs) Um, and I was always kind of told that what I have isn't as good as the next thing I'm going to get. Like, this is good, but, you know, we just keep pushing, keep going. And there were so many moments of my life, even with, like, success and failure, like, where I just wanted this thing. I wanted the success. I wanted um, to accomplish this thing or accomplish this goal. And then I would do it and be like, that's it? And I realized, like, 
I never, like, I was so conditioned to, like, thinking about what was next and thinking about how much better that would be that I never enjoyed what was happening. Like, I never looked around at my life or, like, my style personally or the project that I was working on and thought, wow, this is it. Like, this is the thing. This feels important. This feels valuable. And I really wanted to... Once I realized that, I really wanted to shift gears and I really wanted to understand, like, why am I not showing up for the things in my life? Why am I not enjoying the things in my life? And I started asking those questions myself. And then I realized, like, we're constantly inundated on social media with people who have a better life than us. And that doesn't matter. Like, it do- there, when it comes to your own life, someone else's better life doesn't matter. And so I have always tried to encourage liking your own life with my, my social media presence and with the projects that I work on. And um, I always try and sort of point people like that's why I got into photography. Um, I was friends with a lot of photographers who would always like single in our friend group, single out like very skinny, very beautiful, like blemish-free girls to take photos of. And no one ever took photos of me. And I thought that was bullshit. And I, I like, there was a period of time where I was like, really, really sad about that. And then I realized like, why, why am I giving this this much power? Like, And I started doing photography because I wanted people to look at their real lives and find it beautiful. I wanted to like take really good photos of people wherever they're at. Um, And because I I feel like none none of really any of this matters if you're not content. If you're not searching for contentment in your life and you're, I mean, this goes, this goes far, like your purchases or your, Like it's all kind of a waste if you're not seeking that contentment. And a lot of people don't know that it's a waste if you're not seeking contentment. And the way that I learned that was by following people who are constantly trying to find that contentment in their life and talk about when they don't find it and talk about when they do. And so that's kind of at the core of what I'm doing, but I've for the past couple of years have been pretty solely focused on like figuring out who I am as a person. So it's very nice that you say all of those things about me. I I really do mean it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, when you're you're a visionary, right? And so it's it's so hard when you've got it so clear in your head and then it doesn't happen. It's like, wait a minute. No, I I manifested that in my head. I know it can mm-hmm. happen in real life, you know? Yeah. I know I can make that happen. I think that's like the big lesson that I'm learning right now is like, oh, I do feel like I can like put energy into things. I do feel like I'm a very social person who like is able to have very genuine interactions with a lot of people. And a lot of times I can ask for things that I can get. Like I can ask for jobs that I can get realizing when to like what is in alignment for me has been such a huge thing this year 
especially not knowing like career wise what that really means. Um, because I'm, I'm still take like I'm still doing photo work that I really love. I'm doing the podcast and newsletter on optimism. I'm starting this new publication with my friend Beth called Fluffy that is literally something that I feel like I dreamed up with another person. I mean, I did, but it felt like it, it, it feels so dreamy. Like it feels like what I kind of want to be in the world. Um, I'm still doing like some pro bono consulting for people who have had their whole world shit thrown upside down by COVID, but mostly it's just like, you can cry with me and I'll help you come up with like a plan to move forward. Cause really what matters right now is that you make money because your unemployment's running out. Yeah. Gosh, I know. Yeah. So to bring it back full circle, I'd love to ask you, because it sounds like you're good at this. How are you, how are you so good at being alone? Even though you love people and you love to socialize, how have you mastered the craft of being alone, doing nothing and really enjoying time with yourself? And within that space, um, are there any resources um, that you can think of that really help to, to nurture, um, being alone? Yeah. Um, I, so how I kind of came to this, I realized that because of the way that I was, I was like raised and I've always like had a best friend who, I mean, I've had the same best friend since I was in the sixth grade. Uh, she's currently my roommate. So she's been there for the long haul. Um, I met my husband when I was 16, which means I lived in college housing and then lived with college friends until I literally moved into the house that my husband moved into like right after we got married. Um, so I've never lived alone. Like I've never had alone time. I've never even known the importance of alone time until about two years ago in therapy, I started to deconstruct some fears that I had around travel. Um, I felt like I was being sort of pulled with my career to travel a lot. And I had a lot of fears about being away from my husband. And the fears didn't really feel in line with who I was as a person. They were like, I'm afraid that this person's going to die while I'm not there. I'm afraid that I'm just afraid to like not be by this person's side. Like what if something bad happens? And I kind of started deconstructing those ideas with my therapist about a lot of this comes from the fear culture that you lived in. A lot of this comes from like, ideas about like what husbands and wives how they should conduct their lives always together and she was really helpful for me to construct the fact that like my inner self was pulling me to these things that like what I had learned was trying to pull me away from um and I was like well then I guess I need to travel like I guess I need to go and she was like yeah I think you should and she literally was like, I think you need to book a plane ticket to L.A. My, and it all kind of came around my husband and our roommate 
going out of town to this work conference because they work at the same company and their whole leadership team was going out of town to this work conference. And it was going to be like eight days of me being home alone. And I was like, it was a, I think we were living in a new place and I just didn't like, I wasn't settled in the house. And I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be at home alone. And she was like, we'll be alone somewhere else. And she sent me on this trip to LA where I had literally no reason to be there. Like I was just, I'd never been, I'd always wanted to go. I heard the weather was perfect. It was great. And so I went and I had a blast. It was like the most, it was the weirdest, most serendipitous trip of my life. I ended up meeting with, meeting up with some like brands that I'd wanted to work for. All of these things sort of fell in line and I really didn't have any trouble being alone at all on that trip. And I was right. My career was pulling me to travel a lot that year. I think I went on 14 trips in 12 months and most of them were alone. I think 12 of the 14 were alone. And through navigating how to spend that time not attached to my phone, um, I learned that like activities are where it's at. Plug your phone up, put it somewhere where you're not going to get to it. And then like line up some activities to try. We're talking coloring books. We're talking reading. We're t I have like loved art books this year. Like I did not go to art school. I wish I would have. Um, I went to ad school. So I've never really flipped through art books outside of like this past year. Um, so I love an, an activity. I love a walk. I love going to a new city and just reserving one day to walk around. I also have built a lot of rituals around being alone, which I would highly suggest. Like anytime I'm in a new city, I um, usually the day that I get there, I don't do anything. I kind of like spend the night researching where I am, watching Netflix, and I order pad thai. <laughs> no matter where I am, no matter what city, Toronto had the best pad thai. Actually, have a pad tie tattoo. Oh yeah, I love that's my, that. That's my alone tattoo. It's upside down, but <laughs> um, fun fact: this is a tangent about that tattoo. That tattoo I got on. There have been two Friday the Thirteenth this year. That was the first one, and then this one was the second one, and I got this on the day that I qu started quarantining. Got that on March 13th. Wow. Was a Friday the 13th. That's loaded, right? Uh -huh. A lot of, a lot so of energy in those is, tattoos. Yeah, when this is over, it's a little hand holding a moon. I'm going to get on the other side a little hand holding a sun. Oh, I love that. Um, but yeah, I... I sort of started to cultivate this like confidence in being alone that like it wasn't always going to be like this bad mental thing or I wasn't going to get lonely and I wasn't going to like spiral. Um, and it was definitely learned. I mean, it took two years of traveling, two years of like building up, like what do I do if I'm in a city and I get sad? I think like I've been sort of fantasizing about my first trip in the post COVID world. 
and it is definitely to New York <laughs> because <laughs> I, I I miss that energy so much. Yeah, that makes sense because things are so dormant right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a lot of practice, but I think journaling about being alone, sort of deconstructing the ideas you have about being alone. Um, because like, as an, I mean, as a 29 year old, I have a lot of friends who are single. And so my aloneness, this kind of goes back full circle to comparative suffering. My aloneness always felt not valid because I have friends that like aren't partnered and just like really, really want to be partnered. And so I just never really looked at my, my aloneness, my fear of being alone as, um, as valid. And then I started deconstructing it and I was like, oh no, like this is, this is a path everyone should take. Like everyone should learn to love, like going to the cabin, to a cabin in the middle of the woods for a couple days. Um, and in doing that, I've kind of like taken up a lot of confidence in things that I like was convinced I couldn't do before, like nature journaling or I was, uh, in upstate New York with some friends. I was actually not alone on this trip, but I was, um, when I kind of travel with friends now, I try and take like a a good solid like half day alone and we were all staying at a house on a lake and so everybody was like doing something and I was like I'm just gonna go lay out on the pier no one bother me I need like four or five hours and so I like laid out on this uh little pier on this lake and um watched frogs and kept caught little fish and nets and um I was just laying there And I was like, I want to write a poem. And so I wrote a poem and I had never written a poem in my life. And so that kind of uh, helped me understand that sometimes when you're alone or you're like capitalizing on that time of being alone, some things just pop out of nowhere. And since I've maybe written 10 poems total in the year, in a couple months since that trip, but it was just I never thought of myself as somebody who could write a poem. I love all the, there's so much continuity in the way you talk. Um, Cause that just goes back to the crux of who you are and, and you know, what you've said about failing. So um, yeah, you are, you are integrated. You're an integrated being Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's so kind of you to say. You remind you reminded me of my I wrote this essay once about Leonardo da Vinci. And what I learned most from him was that he used to just sit under a tree for hours and hours. He would just sit there and do nothing. He would just think and think and think. And that's why he was a genius. Because he sat under a tree a tree and he just thought. <laughs> and that's what you've that's what you said that you do. You you sit and you think and you don't think then you think some more then you don't think at all and you write a freaking poem <laughs> you know? so yeah it's I mean not to compare you to Leonardo da Vinci right but um who's that guy he means nothing no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um but I think that that's what oftentimes what our generation and much of the world in the modern day is missing 
mm-hmm. you know? We, yeah, I've um, been... We don't I've think. Been, <laughs> yeah, I've been... Um, I just... My, I have, like, severe anxiety and have my entire life. And I started therapy to kind of, like, address that and ended up with a therapist who is so much more than I could have ever... I mean, I had no clue how much of an impact that this person make on every aspect of my life. And um, she really kind of taught me that like anxiety brain is something that may always be there, but I can choose to wield it. Like I can choose to let it loose or I can choose to, I have some choice in the matter. Not that like, you can choose when your anxiety happens. That's not true, but I do have some um, autonomy over it at some points. And what I do in the points that I do have autonomy over it matter. And so I tried to meditate for like probably two full years without any success whatsoever. Like whatsoever. And then one day I talk about alignment and inner knowing and like your higher self a lot. And I just kept feeling like I just needed to lay down. Like I just needed to like lay down wherever, like on the floor, on the couch, just lay down and close my eyes, not sleep, but like, cause I, I'm, I can't nap. I've never been able to nap because of my anxiety. Um, and I just did it one day and just laid there for like 45 minutes And I got up and I felt like a different person. And I didn't really think about anything. I would just like focus on like, um, try and like focus in on the colors I was seeing behind my eyelids. And I would just try and find this like deep dark purple because it felt soothing. And I was so anxious at the time. I don't know how it found me, but it did. And I have been like, for me, that's a a lot of times that's what meditation is. For a while, I was doing this like really great Deepak Chopra, uh, like 21 day meditation with with a, a group. But after that, it has since been like, I just go outside and sit and like, take a break from doing anything or trying to do anything to just relax and sometimes it's like 10 minutes sometimes it's like an hour and 10 minutes it's usually just as long as I can like stand the heat in Texas <laughs> uh, but I just try and separate myself from technology as much as possible when I'm doing that and not time it try and do it when I can sort of leave it open-ended and that has been really revolutionary to my my brain space and how I'm able to like connect myself and sort of steer the ship if you will Chelsea Francis is an ambitiously curious photographer and creative director going with the flow in Austin, Texas. She is currently quarantining with her husband, their best friend, and lots of flowers, books, and painting. 
You can find Chelsea on Instagram at ochelsea, that's three H's, or book her for services at chelsealanefrancis.com. Thank you so much for joining us. You can connect with us on Instagram at WokeBeauty or me at Riley Blanks and learn more at WokeBeauty.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. Until next time, have a beautiful day, even if it's not that beautiful. Oh.